How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. Welcome to Lockdown Bucks. You may notice that I did that very quickly, Frank. Uh, and I did so because we had someone comment on the podcast, which, one, I didn't even know you could do. I didn't know on Audio Boom that you could leave comments. Um, and obviously, Audio Boom is what hosts the, the Lockdown Network. Uh, but, one, thank you for actually commenting on it. Uh, but, two, it was very concerning. Uh, because uh, I guess this is how it reads. Hi guys, great podcast. I'm Greek, Giannis fan, Bucks fans, Bucks fan. Excuse me, Eric. If I may, when you start the podcast with the welcome to Locked On Bucks, why do you drag it out like that? In my honest opinion, it is a very disconcerting, disconcerting sound because it sounds like you were choking or something. Can you please find a way to stop doing that? Maybe it's just me, but still, cheers. Uh, so I was just telling you about this. Uh, I didn't even like realize that I did welcome slowly uh, when we first started recording. And we had probably done, I don't know, like 15, 20, 30 episodes or something like that. And mainly I do it because I'm not quite sure how I want to start this. And someone made a joke about it to me on Twitter. And then I was like, okay. I'm leaning into this, and we are going to just totally own me not knowing how to start our podcast. Uh, and now, I, I mean, if I don't want people to worry about me. I'm not choking. Um, <laughs> I, I'm totally fine. Uh, but I, I just, just wanted to clear the air there uh, and let our Greek friend know that I'm totally fine. I hear, you, I hear you're concerned, and I will try some new intros out here in the coming weeks. Fast ones, apparently. <laughs> uh, all right, Frank. So we we got through some a whole bunch of news yesterday. I would say today is considerably less newsy. Um, I can't think of any news at all, really. Um, obviously, we had all the awards last night. We had Giannis' second team. I guess the only thing newsy today that I wanted to touch on was... Yesterday, I was trying to figure out how Giannis got first-team all-defense votes because, as we talked about, like it, Kawhi and Draymond, how on any like how could anyone on earth not put those as your two first-teamers? And it, the seven voters that did it got around it by placing Giannis as a guard on the first team. Uh, so all seven of his first-place votes were guard votes uh and then as i was talking to our friend kale chunard in atlanta he was saying well it, the interesting thing is Giannis actually has less votes than Millsap, um but Millsap didn't get any of those first place votes and obviously it's on the point system and first place votes meaning more etc etc um so Giannis, uh, i guess technically got less votes than paul Millsap, but because 
those seven people, and I think one of them was Bill Simmons uh, from The Ringer as well, those people, I don't want to say circumvented the rules, but probably knowingly worked around them a little bit uh, to get Giannis some first place votes as a guard. Yeah, I bet there were at least a couple. There, there were a couple of international votes that, that had some other questionable votes in there that gave Giannis the guard uh, vote. So I, I feel like there were probably a couple of low information voters in there as well that were like, oh, he's a point guard. I'm going to vote him as a point guard. Um, so I think we should just acknowledge here as much as we love Giannis and you know, I don't think he's undeserving of all defensive um, consideration. Yeah, he, they kind of fudged that, um, and and so sorry, Paul Millsap, you you may have you may have technically deserved to to get in on the on on the merits there, but uh, I don't know, whatever. All things are coming up, Giannis. Right now, it's it's all good. I will say this: a couple. Of, I I didn't mention this yesterday about the award show. I thought the award show was totally fine. Like the audience seemed like very kind of like dead, like. Um, like I thought Drake was totally fine for what it was. I mean, again, like, was it the greatest joke writing in the history of award shows? No, of course not. But <laughs> I think his um, monologue was actually not terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was totally fine. I mean, it was like, it actually had NBA related humor. It was topical. Yes. Um, and he's obviously a talented guy. I have no opinion of his music, but you know, he's been good on SNL. You can tell he has a background as, you know, he's an actor as a kid. Right. Yeah. Um, so he, he, I think, did everything very well. He was obviously at ease in his element. Um, and, you know, I mean, as far as like a first NBA award show goes, I, I thought that was, was quite good actually. I mean, it could have been, could have been way worse. I didn't understand. I haven't seen the movie get out, which I guess one of the sketches with, with the, where he was playing Steph Curry. I think that was like, it was referencing the movie get out, I guess, which I picked up on at the end, but I haven't seen it. So that one kind of just didn't really, resonate with me but um but other than that i thought it was uh was was generally pretty funny um and it was good i i liked it you know people i feel like people always want to like be negative about award shows because it's like whatever but it's it's hard it's hard to do a good award show i um, i actually tweeted it out this morning um and i know you had a bunch of work stuff today but i tweeted out this morning i enjoyed it like i didn't yeah. i did not have a problem with it i like i said i thought drake's monologue was i i think good like there, there were a couple jokes in there that I thought were legitimately good NBA based humor, and yeah, like, and it was quick. He didn't, he didn't belabor correct. anything. You kind of got him out. The you couldn't. T- the crowd wasn't very like mic'd up, or I don't know, it was kind of quiet. But I, yeah. yeah, I still think it was good. And I also don't know if like NBA players like weren't quite sure how to react. Like, okay, can I actually laugh at this stuff? Like, are, are we going to be cool with each other? Like, if I find these jokes funny, um, and and a little bit of that. Uh, so that made it a little bit difficult, but I thought there was like legitimately great moments, like the Sega Strong Award. That was yeah, that was awesome Williams. and touching, and like exactly what you would want from that moment. And I mean, Bill Russell stole the show. Yeah, like, like I'd kick your ass. Yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> like Bill Russell, you are the coolest dude on earth. Probably off the top of my head, the most inexplicable thing that happened. Well, the Nicki Minaj thing was just kind of like a weird, like at first I was like, are they playing a music video? Because it was like the pre-recorded, yeah. that, that was all kind of strange. But um, but Victor Oladipo winning dunk of the year for that like dunk he had, I think it was against Dwight Howard or something yeah, like fans, that. Yeah, fans, what are you doing? Who, what? who, who, tweeted off, that, like, who tweeted that out that got enough votes for him to win? Yeah, I, that was totally baffling to me because A, the Larry Nance dunk was clearly infinitely better. 
And so so much. He's a Laker. He's a Laker. Like where the hell were Laker fans? They're yeah. like the biggest subgroup of people on Twitter, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know. That was that was just bizarre. That that a crappy, not a crappy. I mean, obviously it was an impressive dunk, but like a not crazy special dunk by Victor Oladipo um, would beat out that Larry Nance dunk, and even the Zach Levine dunk I thought was definitely better too. Um, and seeing the Oladipo dunk win kind of made me think also. It's like I could have given you like five or six Giannis dunks that were as cool or cooler than, than that one. Um, That's a good question. So, have we had this discussion before, what our favorite, favorite Giannis dunk from the season was? I feel like we might have. But yeah, um, I feel like you could take the Pacers one. Yeah, Pacers one's up there. Pacers the one is like the most elegant. Like It Correct. just looks so incredible. You could so take the, the Knicks one. Knicks dunk, yeah. And then there was also the the Heat double clutch. That hit you know. his two hand double clutch was better than Oladipo's two hand double clutch. Yeah, I was gonna say it was more impressive from considering how far out it was. Um, but yeah, and then I mean, I and and aesthetically, the windmill hammer he dropped against the Hawks is just a gorgeous, incredible dunk. It's not gonna win dunk of the year because it you know wasn't yeah. on anybody. Totally. But agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those first three are are more impressive i mean you know from where he took off on those those first two is great i mean where, where he took off on the third one double clutching yeah. um was insane so and he had another double clutch against the knicks i think too which was like a functional double clutch dunk, oh so. yeah he did it, we didn't even notice it it kind of get like you know lost yeah, no, in the, you're right lost in the shuffle there. but anyway um yeah so Giannis dunks are better than victor oladipo dunks for sure so, also anyway. I'm totally in on a second NBA awards. Like, I feel like they're only going to get better, right? Like, I, I feel I feel like that was a pretty strong showing for a first one. Like, well, the the big risk is that they're gonna they're gonna go to like Kevin Hart as the host. That's my fear because that will take it from like <laughs> enjoyable to like just super annoying. So yes, um, that's and pro- people that's... people pointed out that like the timing isn't great. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, whatever. I, I don't have really a strong opinion about. When when it should happen? The on, literally the as I was said literally the only thing someone said to me when I tweeted out that I liked it was like, well, the timing just like makes it seem like unimportant because it's after all this other stuff. And I was like, yeah, like I get it. Like I, if you are gonna have a problem with it, I think timing would be the thing. But as far as the production goes, like I, I felt like they generally had their stuff together and it was pretty smooth. And I wasn't quite sure at first if I was going to like them bringing like the inside the NBA crew into it, but like it ended up working functionally. And yeah, I thought I thought it was good. Um, I'm I'm not typically an enjoyer of things. I know yesterday we talked about how we both enjoy being cynical, but you know what? I enjoyed it and. I, I look forward to the second NBA awards. Uh, so hopefully they do it better next year. Um, any n- Anything else with the NBA awards? No, that's it. Move on. Okay. So, on to next year. Sounds good. Um, okay, Frank. So I get, this might take a little while for me to get into this, but Uh-oh. one thing I have been fascinated by this, this last, uh, I don't know, probably month. It, it probably started in the season as well. Um, but I'm just kind of fascinated with the way last season, last off season was viewed because it seems like we've talked again and again about how capped out the bucks are. And we, we, I don't think we've sugarcoated that at any point. I don't think we've left any, any illusion that the bucks may have cap room for this or that or anything, but except 
tight right up uh, against the tax. I don't think we've made it seem any other way. But in that, as te- as people have figured that out, and uh, Sean Devaney today wrote something at uh, Sporting News about how the Jabari decision is going to be is going to be interesting because they're capped out and their options are limited, and they might not not might not have a, a ton of options for what to do. And we've talked about all this, and I feel like everything just kind of the everyone just boils it down to like oh. Buck screwed everything up last summer, and because of that, they're capped out this summer. And I, I just, I just feel like it's not true. Like I, I just don't think that that belief is true. And again, like I'm not trying to make excuses for the Plumley contract. I thought it was terrible. We panned it brutally at the time. Um, I, I'm trying to think that might have been what one of our first lockdowns of the year last year like right at the start as we were doing it like we both killed that deal we hated it uh, because we went into the offseason saying you know two year deals you can sign just about any two year deal and it'll be fine uh, but anything over that is going to be bad and with Miles Plumley, like make someone make an offer and then kind of just get him back low ballish like make it make sure it's cheap so the plumber deal totally terrible awful okay <laughs> the, the, the guy, and ironically that's the one they got rid of that that's the crazy part right is that they're basically you know a, a, a spencer haas opt-in away from being completely off the hook of of miles Plumley's deal which you know as of today st- is still owed 37 plus million dollars right so i mean th- that that's that's one of the reasons. I mean, somebody somebody asked me today, like, you know, do you would a team be willing to take Henson's salary if you attached a future first round pick to it? Should the Bucks do that? And I was just like, no, do not do that. Like, Please there's God, no, no way the Bucks. God, no. There's no way the Bucks should be attaching assets to get rid of salaries. Because again, and we can get into it here, but you know, I mean, getting under the tax should not be like should not be that hard. And obviously going into next summer, I mean, not that you're going to have a ton of cap space or something, but there's obviously a lot of salary coming off with Monroe's expiring deal and Haza, you know, f- finishing up his contract. And, and, you know, again, then you have to make other decisions like Ron Jabari, which I thought that that Sean Devaney article was, was really interesting because I think it really highlighted just how how much in a you know, how much of a quandary the Bucks are in with that Jabari decision and how much risk there is. Um, and not just on Jabari's knee, but just really what his value is going to be as a player, um, which, you know, maybe it's a separate conversation, but, um, but yeah, it, it is, I mean, we talked about it yesterday. It is, is interesting to kind of look back and, and think through how the, the perception of, of last off season has evolved. And, um, you know, as I mentioned yesterday, you know, when, when free agency started a year ago, one year ago today, um, the view for what this summer's cap would be was, $107 million salary cap, $127 million luxury tax. And, and here we are with, you know, likely $99 million and, and $119 million. And that, that obviously um, changes things. Um, but I think there's also, I don't know, I, I mean, I think people kind of maybe have changed the perception of things, some, some fairly, some maybe not so fairly. Um, but, you know, I think that's part of the problem with free agency is, you know, every summer people kind of fall into the same trap of wanting to go spend a bunch of money and then being shocked when you don't actually get great value for your free agency spending, you know, which <laughs> I can only say free agency is not free people. Um, no, that, no, that no. is, that is the takeaway. And, 
think the, the more you go through this process year in and year out, the more you kind of, I don't know, I just come back to this idea of, you know what, sign guys for two years, don't sign for huge money, and honestly, um, if you if you take bigger gambles, get ready to be burned, right? And, and just you have to choose your battles really wisely. Yeah, so the part I find most interesting is the the Mirza Toledovich contract and the Delvadova contract, I, I guess, are kind of now seen as like pure evil uh, <laughs> as, as we've gone through it because obviously I, I don't think either of them were used particularly well this season. I think if you've listened to our podcast throughout these, this season, we've mentioned that, okay, Mirza could have been leveraged a lot better. Del Vadova was often overcast in a role that maybe didn't... I shouldn't say maybe. It didn't show him off in the right ways. It didn't put him in situations to succeed. It didn't help him in, in any way. Uh, it often asked him to do too much. And because of that... By, I, by, that, by, that, by that you mean he was doing things other than setting screens for Giannis and shooting uh, catch-and-shoot jump shots. Is that right? I mean, he could get a, a... He can run a pick-and-roll from time to time. Was, yeah, he but. could get a small, big pick-and-roll. Like every, every once in a while, he could get one of those. But yeah, yeah not oftentimes down the floor uh, in the fourth quarter. That That is not a good usage of him. So I think because of that, those contracts now look to look like to people even worse and terrible deals but uh, and i think also to those deals get inflated by people i'd say i had someone today mention oh well delhi at 11 million is a bad deal and it's like well delhi doesn't make 11 million delhi makes nine and a half and mirza the same way like he may, again i'm this isn't to say that they're great deals i'm just saying uh, to me it feels like it's always talked about as oh I can't believe these guys are making double digits and they can't I can't believe they're making eleven and twelve and it's like oh, okay just calm down uh, they're they're not making quite that much um, so I, I just think there's this perception and you always have a great cap sheet and I told you that I wanted to play around with my own so I I, I named it in your cap form Eric's toy sheet because. I don't. I, I don't. I don't deserve to have one of these. Like this is just me playing around. Uh, but the thing I wanted to look at was I wanted to delete Mirza's contract. I wanted to delete Matthew Delvadova's contract, and then I even wanted to go as far as to delete Spencer Hawes, which would be the last trace of of last year's off season. So that that's the entire off season, totally off the books, and when. I look at the cap numbers, I'm still somewhere around 83 million. And as you mentioned, the cap's in 99. So I would have $16 million to spend. That is not getting me. I mean, okay, let's start at the very top. That's not getting me CP3. That's not getting me Drew Holiday. That's probably not getting me George Hill. That might not even get me Jeff Teague. So that's sixteen million I'm getting to use on hmm, Patty Mills. Um, I, I don't even know where else I, I could use that money um, with the way that that the Bucks need players and the needs that they would have, even accounting for Delhi and Toledovich and Haas not being on the roster. Uh, that wouldn't necessarily help me, and that's not even adding in the fact that, well. I would have had to somehow get through last year uh, with more players. So uh, I, I guess the, the thing that just kind of bothers me is that it's not just 
last offseason. Like, the Henson deal is obviously a big one. And then Monroe opting in for $18 million, like, is just huge. The fact that even if I take the Henson deal out, I trade that away, I'm still only down to $72 million. That's still only $27 million there that I would have to use. And it just speaks to kind of the the size of Giannis's deal now. And again, it, I don't have a problem with signing Giannis up long term. It's just the realities of this situation that once you get an actual star and you pay for that actual star, it gets awfully difficult to build a team. Like you have to be very, very good in all those other situations. Like you have to be very good at finding cheap pieces. You have to be able to find contributors on cheap deals. You have to be able to find contributors on rookie deals. You have to be able to find contributors contributors in those plays. And I guess what, I've just been kind of bothered in the last couple of weeks of just seeing like all this blame placed on last summer when. A, no matter what, I just feel like it's going to be pretty difficult. Like I'm looking at the people accounting for numbers on this cap, and it's Giannis at 22 and a half. It's Monroe around 18. It's Middleton around 14. It's Jabari at 6.7. Thon at 2.5. Rashad at 1.9. Malcolm at 1.3. DJ Wilson at a projected 2.1. Gary Payton Jr. at 1.3. Like. There's just not a lot of fat to cut off right there. Like, like those are all players that, uh, aside from Greg Monroe, and obviously uh, I don't think we would have predicted it to, when he signed, but obviously now that's not money well spent. Um, but there, there's just not a lot of fat to cut off there. Well, but, you know, and so, I, I mean, the, the fundamental question for me is, um, and I think the the operative question going into this weekend is, you know, what do you do now that you have all these deals on on your sheet, right? Um, and, and you know, in in this in the instance where the Bucks sign just a few guys to like one year deals or something like that, and so, you know, you've got way less on your cap sheet, and you know, you if you had twenty five million, let's say let's say you could open up thirty million in cap space somehow magically, which you know would have required even more trimming. You know, and then 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 the question becomes, well. Are you signing thirty whatever year old Kyle Lowry to you know a thirty million dollar year contract? Exactly. And and then knowing that if you do that, then you're you know up over a hundred, and then you have still have to make this Jabari decision. You still have to fill out the rest of your roster because you got rid of all these other you know dudes who you have to fill out somehow. Um, and and so I, I mean I think a lot of times a lot of these roads sort of lead back to. If you are going to pay Jabari, or if you are going to eventually, you know, if he becomes back healthy and you eventually trade him for somebody else who you have to pay a lot of money to, um, it, it is, you know, it, it becomes very tight, sort of no matter what. Like there was kind of always going to be this reckoning to some extent, and you know, the reckoning kind of keeps coming because um, what is it, uh, twenty eighteen? Um, or sorry, you know, Chris Middleton basically has two years left on his deal right now. Malcolm Brogdon has two years left on his deal right now. Thon Maker has three years left on his deal right now. I mean, you you know, you, you get to the point where you want to have assets that are, you know, good values, and those three guys are obviously fall into that category. Um, but you, you're always in this battle to always be finding the next good value, right? And that's why we always talk about not wanting to trade picks, you're not wanting to encumber yourself by getting rid of future assets. Um, the need to always be going out and somehow finding value, right? And I think that's also why, you know, we, I think that's why it burns people when, you know, picks get sold and things like that, because mm-hmm. that's 
that's the best way to find those those values. And obviously, most second round picks don't pan out into anything. You know, most you get a lot more Johnny O'Briens than you do Malcolm Brogdon's, unfortunately. Um, but but I think philosophically, though, I mean, I think it is fair to come go back and say, well, you know what, the Bucks didn't evaluate the downside risk of all these different guys turning out to be you know, non-starters. And in the case of certainly Henson and Toledovich, you know, guys that weren't even regular rotation pieces for long stretches last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I think is where the risk is, you know, Delhi, I mean, Delhi, you know, on this roster should play every night. Right. And we can argue whether he should be playing 20 minutes or 29 minutes or something <laughs> like that, but, but he should play. Right. I and mean, he can play a role. And, yes. you know, I think, I think there is, you know, you, it does seem there is intangible value, what he brings, you know, and blah, 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 locker room stuff like that. But, but, you know, I think he's less, um, he's less of a, uh, uh, you know, burden because he does play a role and he fills a need versus Henson. You've got 33 centers on the roster who all beat him out for minutes regularly, yeah. you know, Toledovich couldn't carve out a role, et cetera. And it's interesting too, because I think what the Bucks did sort of at the end of last summer, I think highlights as well why it's okay to be frustrated with some of these moves because they got Michael Beasley for, you know, Tyler Ennis, who, you know, had a few moments with the Lakers eventually at the during the regular season. But, you know, they got Michael Beasley paying, and they paid him basically nothing, right? He was yep. basically a, effectively a minimum level deal. Um, they signed Jet for nothing, right? And they got more from Jet and Michael Beasley than arguably what they got from John Henson and Mirza Toledovich last year, right? And, you know, we pour one out for the Toledovich archipelago because we obviously know we obviously have made the case for his value even when he's not necessarily shooting that well. But um, but I think it's just sort of one of those things like you have to be you have to take your shots in kind of um, I don't say risk averse ways, but you have to be careful with it, right? Because if you get too many, you just can't have you know again you can't have your seven, eight, and nine guys all be making ten plus million a year. Yeah, you can have you can have one of those guys, sure. You know, I mean you're not going to have three max players and then a bunch of guys making 5 million a year like that. That's, you're not going to really be able to fill out a good roster that way with some veterans. Um, you can't have all guys on rookie deals. Um, but, but the challenge is how do you, you know, go about it so that you're not putting yourself in a situation like now with where the bucks are, where, um, you know, and, and Monroe is a bit of a, a different case, right? Because Monroe is very productive. Arguably he was, you know, over the full season with Middleton being hurt, he was arguably their second best player last year. So I don't want to act like, you know, and I, and I put Greg in the, you know, not great Bob section of the uh, of the cap sheet and the graphic <laughs> I did. But, you know, realistically, he is a very productive player. You don't want to lump him in with, you know, Henson or Toledovich or something like that. But um, but I think you do have to be pretty selective in sort of how you take your shots on role players. And I think it is informative for Tony Snell because I think, you know, again, um, you know, you want to avoid signing role players who, you know, a month into the season could be out of the rotation and not providing value to you because that's exactly what we saw with Toledovich and Henson for long stretches. And certainly I think that's, a, uh, you know, one of the things we've talked about with Tony Snell. That's one of the key lenses, I think, through which to view the Tony Snell deal, whatever it might look like. You know, if you sign Tony Snell to X million a year, what if he you know, doesn't play that well. Is he still going to play on this team? Is he still useful? You know, is a bad Tony Snell year 35% from three or is it 29% from three? And look at his history, right? Um, And as much as he had a career year, you know, he shot 
36 and 37 percent from three of the two years previous as well so it's not like he's you know a, a complete flash in the pan so yeah. i don't know I'm, I'm kind of mixing a bunch of different topics together here but um but yeah i mean i think a lot changed over the course of the summer and i think a lot of the issue for the bucks is just the additive effect of signing a number of role players that i think justifiably they thought complemented Giannis in particular to stretch for they needed more shooting let's go get you know the most capable highest volume three-point shooting bench guy in the history of the league basically right set a record for bench three-pointers correct uh, let's go find a point guard who can play off ball and do you know dirty stuff and, you know and set screens for Giannis and just catch and shoot and whatever okay you get Delhi, right um and and obviously the Plumley theory was that he was a rim roller who played well with Giannis. And again, <laughs> yeah. no justification for the amount of money they gave him. But but you know again, I think they were trying to build around Giannis. Um, and the problem is pretty much all those guys did not find the niches that that were hoped of them. And you ended up with this downside scenario, which maybe shouldn't have been that unpredictable. But you ended up with all these guys, you know, in in combination, especially given the glut of centers throw Henson on there as well you ended up with basically all this dead dead money that you know wasn't even getting minutes you know night in and night out so from a roster construction standpoint sort of in the aggregate you know managing a whole portfolio of contracts um it was certainly you know not well thought through um but again that's the difficulty of like stepping back viewing it from a whole an entire roster versus then having to go out and then make a decision on a guy like Tony Snell and saying okay am I going to let those bad mistakes lead me to not sign a guy who I think is better than all those other guys right and obviously I think you know my argument would be no you're not into this you you know your cap hell is not bad enough that you know you can't also sign Tony Snell but certainly it it does affect I think the way people view it and justifiably so yeah and and I think for me it's just kind of taking that longer view Like, like last summer didn't work out well they made some mistakes but that was like the the final piece of straw on the camel's back. That wasn't all of the things you threw on the camel's back. Like having John Henson on that contract, not able to perform, that's a killer. Like having Greg Monroe not be quite what you wanted Greg Monroe to be, like that's that hurts. And I, I guess just going through all of it, it, it always ends up speaking to pretty much the same thing. Like, just wait it out in free agency, hang out until the very end, and there's going to be some bargain deals. It may not have been the exact player you wanted. It may not have been uh, the exact type of player you wanted, but it's probably going to be something similar to what you wanted, and you're going to get it at a bottom dollar rate. And I think we see it pretty much every year. There's, <laughs> Despite, you would think, everyone knowing this at this point, um, because... They're, they're really trying to think of the greatest free agent success stories uh, of a team in a summer just rebuilding their whole team through free agency. They, those just don't really exist, and if they do, they're few and far between. So you just have to be smart about the stuff, be frugal, and make sure that you're not making that mistake. And if you're going to make a mistake, like, make sure it's with a player of a, value, a valuable archetype. Like, is it is it a three and D wing? Okay, I think you can afford to make a mistake there. Can I imagine times where that guy gets played off the floor? If you can imagine a number of scenarios where that guy can get played off the floor, 
might not be a guy you want to put double digits on. Uh, so, I, I don't know. It, it, I guess it's always just kind of, to me, perceptions of things are, are always interesting to look at, and that's been an interesting one to me, that like last summer was this killer, and that the Telly and or the Teledovich and the Delhi contracts were just just terrible and I don't I don't know that I can say that either of them are like in the Bucks context as they were trying to build a team they be, might have become that way because well they also made mistakes on on Sean Henson uh, and they also made again it's not a huge mistake Greg was very productive but a guy that doesn't fit particularly well uh, in the modern NBA they spent a bunch of money on Greg so um, it, it just I just think again and again it speaks to how how small your margin for error is once you have to sign your guys your horses to the big deals and the the crazy thing about this is they got Middleton at a deal M- Middleton might be again last year is obviously not a great gauge of it because he was out for so long but Middleton might be one of the better contracts in the league like his production if he comes back to the way he produced before last season two years ago if he comes back to that him at 14 million this year and 13 million next year that's a steal so the bucks have managed to somehow hit on one of their horses uh and yet still not have a clean cap sheet so um i don't know it's just always something i end up thinking about once we get to free agency time that what you're thinking about other players how teams attempt to fill out the roster um and how often you just come back disappointed when when you're in free agency if you're not the team signing uh the biggest free agent or I guess one of the free agents in the top three that happened to be 27-ish years old, like it's just probably not going to work out well for you. Yeah, and the other bit of context here that I think sort of has been lost, and you mentioned you know, Giannis and his salary. If Giannis had not been signed to his extension last fall, the Bucks would have had you know, a much lower number for Giannis on their cap sheet. And last fall, it would have been projected. I think it would have been his cap number would have been about like seven and a half or eight million dollars. And I think with the new CBA, it, it the, the percentage markup would have been higher. So you know, let's say say he would have counted for I don't know like like ten million against their cap sheet versus you know signing last fall. Now he counts twenty two and a half right away. So um, so if if you had not signed you know some of those guys and some of the numbers you mentioned, and also not extended Giannis last fall. You would have had all this additional, you know, room effectively in cap terms um, to to go out and, and spend. But um, in terms of like where you actually end up on salary, well, obviously, you know, you were going to give Giannis a huge deal regardless. So it's going to catch up with you at some point. So um, that's kind of another bit of, you know, I don't want to say minutia, but certainly if you looked at where the Bucks were on July 1st last year, it was a lot easier to carve out a, a, a story for them having more cap flexibility this summer in the sense that well you could defer extending Giannis and I don't know of anybody who would argue to do that um but you could have deferred extending Giannis kind of like the the Spurs did with Kawhi Leonard sort of like a hand you know wink Mm -hmm. wink type thing um you could have um and you would have said oh well you know on July 1st last year the cap this year was supposed to be 107 million so great you know you just say basically you just got back 20 million dollars in cap space on paper but um again you know 
eight million of that wasn't real because the cap ended up not going up that much. And the other part, obviously, is Giannis. You you sign him as as I think justifiably you should. If anything, people are arguing you, you should have given the five year max rather than than screwing around with with a four year with a slight discount. But um, but obviously, kind of the Bucks are where they are. And um, you know, again, it, they're in, just now in a position where I think. To be honest, like if they can shed one deal, you know, if they can find a team looking for a stretch four to, you know, send back less, you know, significantly less salary than than Toledovich's ten and a half million per year, um, you know, if they can find a team that, you know, wants John Henson and also sends back significantly less money, um, you know, again, it, it doesn't translate in any cap space that they can go out and use to sign somebody, but um, but I mean all the kind of concerns around the luxury tax and signing Snell, um, all that becomes way more manageable. Um, and again, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about sort of the idea of Monroe, you know, I've said that I don't think Monroe comes back next year regardless, because I think effectively, as long as Jabari Parker's around and they think Jabari Parker's going to come back and get paid anything remotely close to what his, you know, kind of market value might be. Um, I I just don't think there's room. I think basically Greg's slot becomes Jabari's slot and, and that's just kind of like how it's going to be. So, um, so anyway, it, it's it ends up kind of being a little bit of a game of musical chairs to some extent, and, and hopefully people haven't been totally confused by it. But I, I think bottom line, uh, if you can find a way to to dump one of those salaries, preferably Henson's or Toledovich's, um, I'd say Henson first, just because of that big man uh, glut is is as pronounced as ever. It seems um, if you can do that, second choice dump Toledovich's deal. I don't foresee them trying to ship out Delhi unless you know. I mean, like nope. if. Unless it was like, you know, there's a Ricky Rubio trade Correct. where, you know, Toledovich and, and Delvadova go to Minnesota or something like that. Unless um, there's a point guard upgrade, they are not getting rid of Delhi. Right. Um, I, I think Delhi's back, and I think that's fine, especially if he's in a backup role. And, you know, again, worst case scenario, you stretch Spencer Haas, and honestly, with, you know, sort of the range of, I think, Snell contracts that I think we would guess are likely, especially with the cap kind of receding and, um, maybe money being tighter this summer, um, you know that should that should allow you to stay under the luxury tax. Now, um, depending on how much salary you can dump, that would affect your ability to add another free agent potentially. Um, you know, and again, right now the Bucks also have a bit of a roster crunch, um, but uh, you know they do have their full mid level as long as they stay under the apron, which is four million dollars over the luxury tax level. So they, technically, they could go spend eight. million dollars on a on a on a free agent um but the issue obviously is they're going to probably take try to take care of snell first and then um you know effectively they they probably will not have much flexibility given uh you know the need to move a guy before they could potentially spend more money so long story short we will see um and you know again uh, some of these other assets too we don't talk about rashad bond that much um you know he's also a guy that uh, again, you know, if you wanted to dump a little bit of salary on the margins to free up some space, I think Rashad Vaughn is one of those guys whose you know future in Milwaukee could be could be under threat. And you know, again, if in mid to late July, uh, a team like the Nets has cap, you know, have cap space, you know, could you go pawn Rashad Vaughn off on the Nets for free? I don't know. Probably somebody would take him for free, but um, but those are all the sort of scenarios that we'll see kind of how these next few weeks evolve. And I'm sure the Bucks will be looking. Uh, at many different uh, permutations of this to try to free up more more room and especially with that luxury tax looming all right i think that's gonna be it for us for today um i'm trying to think going going forward i'm speaking about free agency and things like that i don't 
normally what we would do in a situation like this is okay let's go through positions and look at possible free agents and uh kind of give you a detailed breakdown but it just seems so unlikely that i'm not sure that that's how we'll go about it maybe we'll We'll take a quick look through the guys that we think could be had for exceptions if moves are made. Um, but yeah, it, it's just kind of an interesting... An, an, uh, I don't even know if interesting is the right word. It's kind of boring. It, it's going to be... It's going to be difficult for the Bucks to find a way to have room to go after free agents. I thought you were going to say fascinating because that's kind of your, your favorite word to use when when you're not sure about something. But, yeah. but unfortunately, yeah, I would agree. The trade market may be fascinating, the signing market may be maybe less fascinating, but as you know, just give me Jason Terry and Frank's happy. So <laughs> you know, I've I've I'm not looking for anything too exotic. All right, that's going to be it for us for today. That was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. We will talk to you later. Have a great day. Support for this podcast comes from Netsuite. Netsuite lets you run your business from your phone, so you can see what's going on with your company in real time. Go to netsuite.com/podcast to get your free guide and find out why NetSuite is the last business system you'll ever need.